The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I hope that you have had an incredible 4th of July weekend uh, so far. Um, I hope you were kept up just like we were with endless fireworks, um, but I hope it's been good. And listen, I don't know what your week has looked like, what your morning has even looked like to get you to this point here right now. But what I do know is that our God is sovereign. He is good. And because that's true, I am so excited. We are so privileged that we can come together even like this to rest in that together. So that's what we're going to do together this morning. I'm excited to look at this psalm. Um, If you have your Bibles with you, would you grab them? And would you go ahead and open with me to Psalm 15? Um, This is a short psalm that packs a punch. There's a lot here. So we're going to dig in. and, And let me do this. Let me pray for us. And let's get to work together. Lord, you are an incredible God. All of our attempts, all of our attempts to wrap our minds around how incredible you are, all of them fall short, but even though that's true, this morning we will try again to do it. God, would you open our eyes to see who you are? Would you, would you then lead us to respond? In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. All right, church, Psalm 15. Here's the reality. Right off the bat, David's going to ask a question. It's the million-dollar question, and it's the question that we're going to spend our entire morning digging into and and looking at. Um, It's the question of verse 1. Would you read this with me? O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? What a question is that? So church, what is David asking? If you think about it, what is is the question of the morning? The question is this, who can approach God? Who can approach God? Who can be in fellowship with him? Who can be in his presence? Who can commune with God? Who can do that is, is what David is asking. Here in his question, he, he uses the word tent. This is a reference to the tabernacle, the holy of holy, the place where God's spirit, God himself, would, his presence would dwell. In this psalm, David uses words like, like sojourn and dwell. And here's what he's asking. David is asking, Lord, Lord, it's not enough to know about you. It's not enough to see your presence kind of over there. It's, it's not enough to hear about it. That's not enough. Can you relate to that? That longing to say it's not enough to hear about it, to see it over there. I want to know you. Who can be in your real presence? That's David's plea. That's his question. That's the heart of the question for us here in this text, church. So David asks, how can we, how can I, how can I live in it? Who can live in your presence? It's a big question. As we think about it, though, I, um, 
I think we might, uh, 2020 uh, American Christians, I think we might take this question for granted. And, and what I mean by this is, is I think we tend to approach God totally differently than David does here. In fact, we can tend to approach God as though he is lucky to have us on his team. Like, wow, God, you are lucky that we are here. Like his holy tent is just incomplete without us. It's missing something without us. And and so we don't tend to ask, God, who can come before your presence? Instead, we can often, if we're not careful, take it for granted and think that God is lonely and lucky when we join him. And so we can kind of take this question for granted when I believe, church, that we as contemporary, the New Testament church of 2020, I think we would be served well to ask this question that David asked, to pray this psalm, to meditate on this psalm, to ask God the same question and to then consider the answer that he gives us. So David asks again, O Lord, Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Now let's see the way God's word, let's see the way God answers the question. Let's see who can come before God. Verse two, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, who does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. The person you take all this in, here it is. So the person who can come before the Lord, let's just kind of summarize here, is the person who is blameless, ouch, Uh, the person who does what is right, not mostly, not like horseshoes, close enough kind of thing, but does what's right, all the time right, Um, who speaks truth, it not just speaks it with his lips, but, but it says it speaks truth in his heart. It's like out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what this is saying is this is the person who just kind of overflows truth, right? The person who does not slander. Uh, this includes Facebook, right? Uh, the person who does no evil to his neighbor, to anyone in his community, or to a friend who sees evil as evil. The person who does not promote evil or the evildoer, but instead celebrates and honors all that honors the Lord. Then the psalm says, the person who swears to his own hurt and does not change. I love this because it's relatable. Have you ever made a promise that um, because of situations, because of things, all of a sudden the keeping of that promise becomes costly and it's difficult? Have you ever had a time when keeping a promise is, is costly to you and it would be far easier to just walk away? No one would know. You can just walk away from that commitment, that promise, that oath. Well, this psalm says, this is the person who keeps the promise. 
even when it is at their own expense. It says, this is the person who can enjoy the presence of God. And then lastly, the psalm says, it's the person who doesn't take advantage of anyone financially, take a bribe. Um, and so if we take all of that in, what we see here is the person who dwells, this is the person who dwells with God. And then the psalm ends and says that that is the person who will never be moved. In other words, never be moved from the presence of God, stable, anchored forever. That is the person. That is who will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. It's easy, right? We could, you know, be done. I could dismiss here. You can go about your day and just, I could be like, go sin no more. We're done, right? Yeah, um, let me sum it up. So just so we're taking this in. Who can be in the presence of God? Who can be with him and enjoy his presence? The psalm says, the person who is blameless. Perfection is required. So go, sin no more. We're done here today. But what is the problem? What is the problem here? Who could possibly live up to Psalm 15? Who could possibly live up to it. See, we might think God is lucky to have us on his team, yet this psalm and scriptures all throughout the Bible tell us that, that I fall desperately short. Romans says we all have sinned and we all fall short. So church, what now? Like what now? We might be tempted to say in this, well, pastor, okay, I get you, but this is an Old Testament thing. I mean, things are different now. I want you to be careful. I want you to be careful in saying that because the standard has not changed. Has not changed. Here's what I mean. What was the standard, the Old Testament standard for communion with God? What was it? Well, the Old Testament standard for being in the presence of God was perfection. Okay, at the same time, let me ask you, what is the New Testament standard for communion with God? Church, the standard is still perfection. See, our God has not changed. His standards, they have not changed. So, so are things different now? Absolutely. We're going to talk about that this morning. But is David's question still for us today? Yes, more importantly, is the answer David received still applicable for us today? Yes. Yes. So here's what I want to do. As we look at this psalm, I think it's important for us to have two perspectives. I, I think it's important for us to think through this psalm as the church, as the New Testament church here, to think through this psalm in a way that is biblical and Trinitarian. Biblical and Trinitarian. So biblical meaning the whole Bible, right? The whole Bible, um, the whole story. And Trinitarian meaning Father, Son, Spirit. So biblical and Trinitarian. And let me talk first about biblical, okay? Um, I have a confession to make. I grow really tired and weary of hearing New Testament Christians who try to sever themselves from the Old Testament who view it as somewhat of a failed attempt, a swing and a miss, a just a, 
well, let's just push the reset button. Who view it that way? Or who view the New Testament like it was just like, out of nowhere, out of context with the whole of the story that had started from the beginning. Um, Who think that all of this is not applicable, but starting in Matthew 1, now this applies to me. Genesis 1, now Matthew 1, that's where it starts. I get really tired of this thinking um, because our psalm here, David is asking is, is an Old Testament saint asking the same question that we should be asking, church. And, and the answer to his question remains the same. Who can enjoy the presence of God? Those who are perfect. Scripture says in both the Old and New Testament, be holy as I am holy. We are just like the Old Testament saints in that we don't, measure up, that we fall short. And what happens when we fall short? Well, the whole of scripture tells us that the plan of salvation is and has always been about God's grace, not our goodness. From the very beginning, even in the law of the Old Testament church, that is, it has always been about the faithfulness and goodness of God, even when we are faithless and unfaithful. It's always been about this. We are saved by grace through faith. Fallen humanity is, has always been saved by grace through faith. I'm reminded of a, a scripture in Deuteronomy, right in the heart of the law. Deuteronomy 32, uh, 36. I want you to just read this with me. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Old Testament. When he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. I need you to hear me, church. The story of Scripture, the, the, the story of Scripture is not about our power, but about the power of God demonstrated when our power is gone. The story of scripture, the story of the gospel, it's not about our power, but it's about the power of our God that is demonstrated when our power is gone. That's what it's all about. That's what it's ever been about. So who can truly enjoy the presence of God? Those who are perfect, for he is perfect. So so what now? Well, church, just like the Old Testament saints, we're called to the same response. We, we, we are, our call is to cry out and to plead to our God for his mercy and his grace. In the gospel, the good news is that his mercy and his grace know no end. And that we come to him. Here, the gospel is not about God calling worthy people to himself. The gospel It's about God calling broken, fallen humanity to himself because he is rich in mercy, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That is what the gospel is. This is not an Old Testament versus New Testament thing. This is the truth of the gospel that runs through the entire story of Scripture. That's what I mean by biblical. But I don't want to stop there because I want us to think now about the Trinity, about Trinitarian. Um, This is a game changer, church. And if this doesn't put a smile on our faces, uh, we're dead, all right? Let's talk first about the Father. 
God the Father. Um, Here's the question this morning. How can we, as we said, as David laid out, how can we, who can be in the presence of God? The answer is those who are perfect, for he is perfect. So what does our God do? What does our God do? Well, his heart, Scripture says, is filled with love and compassion for us, and he takes the initiative. See, church, if it was left to us to reach to him, we would never, we could never, we would always fall short. But God, but God. I I want us to think about a scripture here together. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So did you hear that? Take this in. Don't rush past it. He raised us. He seated us. Where? With him. With him. This is the presence of God. See, we could not get there on our own. We were brought there. We were raised up. We were seated with him by our perfect, holy, and gracious God. It's not over there, though. Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one, no one may boast. Let me be clear here. David asked the question, who, who can be with you? Who can dwell in your tent and who can sojourn? If the answer to his question, if our answer to his question um, is by anything we do in our own power, if we answer Psalm 15 verse 1 by anything we do, by anything in our own power, see, then we could boast and we could think that we earned it or we could think it is about us. But church, the only way to answer this question is by the grace of God alone. The only way that we're able to be in the presence of our God is because our God loves us. How deep the Father's love for us. Because that's true, we can be in his presence. So you hear that the second person of the Trinity. Let's, let's talk for a moment about the Son, Jesus Christ. Notice what scripture says. Let's first think about Ephesians. I it won't have you turn here or anything. Um, but if you think about Ephesians, what I just read, what I just read, uh, the, the text says God... God rich in, in mercy and love, made us alive with Christ. Verse 6 is God raised us and seated us with him in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, to show his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Um, what is this language and why is it so important? It could have just said God being rich in mercy made us alive period. He could have said that God raised us and seated us with him and to show his kindness to us, period. Why Christ? Why in and through Christ? Why this Christ language? 
It's because church, it's only in and through Jesus Christ that our God is both perfect, holy, just, and gracious. It's only in Jesus that he is both the just and the justifier of the sinner. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 says this, For our sake, he made him, that is Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, Jesus Christ is perfect, knew no sin, yet took your sin, our sin, all of it on himself so that we might be righteous. We might be perfect in Christ. See, David asks, who can enjoy the presence of the Lord? And the answer that we have talked about is, is those who are perfect. And through Christ, church, the gospel that I get the privilege of preaching is to tell you that you have been made perfect in Christ, by grace through faith. You have been made perfect, and it's through Christ that we now get the joy of proclaiming the truth of Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with, I love this word, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Since perfection is required and since you are not perfect, how dare we approach the throne of God in confidence? Church, because of Christ, the work of Christ, because we are in Christ, we approach him because he is our perfection and through him, in him, we can have confidence before his throne as we approach our God, as we dwell with him. This is incredible. This is the love of the Father. This is the work of the Son, But it does leave us with one more question that that rushes to my mind at least. Since that is true, why then does any of this matter? Why why does it matter? Why does sin matter? Why does verses 2 through 5 of Psalm 15 matter at all if all of that is true, Pastor? Why does it matter? If we are made perfect through Christ, does it really matter at all? Uh, Church, this is where we have to fix our eyes now on the Spirit. Listen again to David's question. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Who can dwell with you? Who can commune with you, O God? Church, I got to tell you, God does the absolutely unthinkable and just turns everything on its head. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 3.16. With that, with David's question in mind, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Church, what just happened? Do you hear this? Oh Lord, who can enter your tent? David cries. And and God answers and says, my love for you is perfect. Through Jesus Christ, you are perfect. And through the Spirit, I am with you, dwelling in you. You are my temple, the dwelling place of God. The Spirit of God himself dwells in you. (laughs) Who can dwell with you, O God? God answers and says, I'm coming to dwell in you. I'm coming to dwell in you. So let's come back to the question then, why does it matter? Why does sin matter? I want to give you at least three things here that are really important for us to kind of understand as we think about this. The first is this. 
those the Father adopts and the Son saves are those who the Spirit sanctifies. They're not two groups. Here's what I mean. I don't see the option for you anywhere in Scripture that I can give you, point to, that, that says that it's okay or that you have the option to say yes to justification while saying no to sanctification. In other words, in Scripture, it's a package deal of God's grace to you. That we don't get this option to say yes to one and no to the other. Now, now yes, we struggle. Yes, we sin. And when we do, we come to our God yet again crying out for his infinite grace and mercy. In fact, just a side note here. I will argue that the mark of a true Christian, of the true church, is the struggle. In other words, those who do not know Jesus do not struggle with sin. They just sin. It's those who, in whom the Spirit dwells that struggle. Because what place does darkness have with light? It's those who are the temple of God who war and fight against sin. It matters, church. Sin matters in our life because we are being sanctified by the Spirit of God in our lives. The second thing is this. Sin can and will disrupt our fellowship with our God. Listen, if you follow, if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you, chances are you know exactly what I mean. When we give ourselves to sin, when we cling to it, we disrupt our relationship with our God. And hear me, I, we do not destroy our position in Christ. Scripture is very clear. It says nothing will separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing that includes your nonsense. Nothing. Nothing. But church, we can ignore the Spirit. We can choose lesser things over Christ. And when we do, we disrupt our communion with our God. See, sin separates us from communion with our God. Sin separates us. Grateful, though, through Christ, it, it will not ultimately separate us, but it does and distort our walk with him. Here's a way to think about this. When we look at Psalm 15, all the things here that's on display, specifically in verses 2 through 5, and when you hear me, this is not hyperbole. What that means is, is it's not listing out all the things we can't do and just saying, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're not going to be perfect, you're not going to be blameless, you can't do it, so you're off the hook. It, it, since I can't be blameless, since I can't always do what's right or speak what's right, then I guess I'm, I'm off the hook. No, church, obvious statement of the morning here. God meant his word in Psalm 15. This is not hyperbole. God meant this. And he sent his spirit to bear this fruit in our lives, to produce this in our lives. Perfectly? Will you and I be perfect today? No. No, not until we see Jesus face to face. But until then, church, until that day, we are being perfected more and more by the Spirit of our God. You cannot embrace Christ in the sin for which he died at the same time. 
You cannot embrace Christ and the sin for which he died. You can't snuggle on both. You can't embrace them both. To embrace Christ is to war against sin. To embrace sin is to war against the Spirit. This is why it matters. It matters because we, church, are being sanctified. It matters because sin disrupts. And then lastly, number three, it matters because the Spirit is preparing us today for eternity. Church, I have heard far too many, I have seen, I have been around far too many Christians who love the world, who love the world's ways, who have their eyes set on all of the world has to offer, the flesh, the sin, the stuff, it's all there. And they think that when they die, that all of a sudden it's just going to be like this, and all of a sudden their hearts are going to be changed and they're just going to only love heavenly things at that moment. Like death is somehow going to be the grand switch that turns us from worldly to holy. That it happens there in that moment. Listen, church, if you hate, if you hate the heavenly in the world, what makes you think that you are going to love it and prefer it when you get there? What? Church, the Spirit is preparing you right now. The Spirit is preparing us right now for eternity. He's preparing our hearts and turning our eyes to Him and in the things of eternity. He's turning our hearts there so that when we arrive, we receive all that we have been longing for. See, the Spirit is doing the work today. The Spirit is doing the work today. This is why it matters. This is why it matters. Who can dwell in the presence of God? Those who are perfect. So God the Father, rich in mercy and love, pours out his compassion and love on you. So God the Son, in love, gives himself for you, gives you his perfection by taking your sin. And then God just takes it to the next level here and says, you know what else? I, God, the Spirit, I'm going to come and dwell you, work on you from the inside out so that you can truly know me, truly walk with me, that you can truly be with me in real relationship and communion with me. And God, the Spirit, begins to do the work in us to prepare us for eternity today so that we will dwell with our God forever. Endeavor, endeavor. Church, how incredible is this? We started with the question, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? The answer, those who are perfect. To be more specific, the answer is those who are made perfect by our God. Those who are made perfect by our God's church. Are you being made perfect? Have you been made perfect through Christ? Do you know the love of God for you? Do you believe in Christ for your salvation? Do you walk with Christ? Do you know him? Do you dwell with your God today and forevermore? This is what is ours today through Jesus Christ. Scripture says in Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
saved from your sin and free to dwell with your God both now and forever. Church, wherever you are, whatever room you're in right now, from your living room, kitchen, office, wherever you are, would you join me in prayer in this moment? God, thank you for your unfailing, mind-blowing love for us. Thank you for your faithfulness, even as we are unfaithful. Thank you for Christ, for his perfect worth, his life, his death, his victory over death and his resurrection. Thank you for making us alive together in Christ. Thank you for your spirit indwelling us, empowering us, comforting us. I pray for all who are listening to this right now. I pray that you move in our hearts and stir our affections. I pray for the person who does not know what it is like to truly dwell with you. I pray for any person who has not yet responded to the gospel, and I pray that in this moment they understand that God, that you love them, Christ, you died for them in spirit, you will come and dwell in them. God, would you let us just respond to the gospel this morning? Amen. Thank you.